and welcome to another edition of the Final Siren podcast. I'm your host, Peter Williams, Draft Central Chief Editor, and I'm joined here today by uh, men's football editor, Michael Alvaro. Michael, uh, big weekend in footy. Yeah, it was. Um, and I think we're really getting down to the nitty gritty now, so looking forward to get cracking. Yes, and today we're going to be dissecting the games from the weekend. There are a couple of uh, semi-finals, and then we're looking ahead to the preliminary finals and also continuing our chats about the draft combine profiles. So uh, let's get straight stuck into it. Uh, on the weekend, we saw two winners with Sandringham Dragons and Gippsland Power both activating their double chance by winning and, and making the way through to the preliminary finals. And the first game at Icon Park, which was at 11 o'clock, was Sandringham Dragons winning 8-7-55 to Calder Cannons 1-12-18. And, well, it was a wet day. Um, and it was, you know, marred by inaccuracy, as you can see from that scoreline. But uh, what did you take out of this game, Michael? Uh, probably not too much, to be honest, I think. Um Maybe what we took out of it is that Sandringham coming in, um, as we were saying off air, probably one of the teams in the top four now that are probably least best poised to go on with it. Um, their performances over the last couple of weeks have been a little bit down on what they probably can produce. But that 112 from Calder was um, was surprising looking back on, on the game now um, and from being there. But um, look, I mean, Sandringham were just too good as we probably expected coming into it and you look at their ball winners and and the way they use it. Um, they just they're going to dominate a lot of the teams below that top four um, in the midfield. So Burns, Hanrahan, McGuinness, um, they all had a heap of the ball. Chogan not as much, but um, Louis Butler from down back was good as well. So they just had too many weapons for Calder in the end, I think. And um, I, I guess a, a bit of a, a result that we saw coming. But um, yeah, I mean Calder put up a fight. It just um, they, they didn't put that scoreboard pressure on and they were never going to get back into it really after they were five goals down at half time. Yeah, for the game, Sandringham had another 82 disposals, 17 inside 50s, 30 marks and 14 tackles. So they've really dominated them both offensively and defensively. Um, Calder just, I think they just had such a slow start. Like obviously Hugo Rolf-Smith kicked three goals in the first term and, um, you know, they were four goals to zip up. Uh, at quarter time, Calder sort of managed to, I guess, arrest a bit of that um, after that first break because from then on they had uh, what would it be? It would have been eleven scoring shots to basically about nine. So they actually had more scoring shots after quarter time to Sandringham, but it always felt like Sandringham were in control. Calder just missing those few opportunities, and and Sandringham. Um, weren't making the most of their opportunities per se, but they were getting a lot more of the ball and getting it forward, and, and that gives you the best chance to win. Absolutely, and I think a positive as well is that a few of their sort of, um, I guess, highlight real players, guys that you look towards, like Miles Bergman, um, even who else was there? Kyle York didn't have a big game, Blake O'Leary. Um, you know, they they were quiet, but... They still had players who stood up, so I think that's a positive for them. Yeah, and for Calder, obviously, that's the end of the season for them. Um, it was it was a bit predictable in the sense of the players that were at the top. I think you've sort of seen them all year, like Ramsey, Mott, Minton, Connell, and Newman, um, with Jones having a nice cameo in there. They're sort of the same players each week, so I think it was just that little bit of depth at Calder that um, got them through enough, like the top end got them through enough to get where they were, but... 
Um, they were just overwhelmed in the end. And obviously, Sam Ramsey, shout out to him, 32 touches. I think he only had about three in the first term. So um, 29 in the last three. So he's quite dominant after that in terms of winning the ball and um, getting it out of the defensive 50 and getting it forward. He had the six rebounds, three inside 50s. Mott was forward of the ball, had the five inside 50s, two rebounds and 23 touches. So um, both of them played really well, but there just weren't enough uh, individual one-on-one winners uh, across the park. Yeah, and Mott's obviously one we're going to be talking about later as well. I think he's one who's going to be pushing into that top 30 calculation for some. Yeah, certainly. And if we move on to the next game, we've got... Gippsland Power, they triumphed 11.975 to Western Jets 6.440. And for me, it was a bit of an odd game because Western flew out of the blocks. They kicked the first couple of goals and then Gippsland sort of got their game going a bit, kicked the next eight. Um, And then it's... Realistically, the last quarter felt like a bit of a consolation quarter. Jets kicked a few goals back to get it back to 35, but never really were within striking distance of, of making a challenge in that last term. Um, look, they, they threw up what they could. They were missing Josh Honey. They only had two players in the team um, with the or draft combine invites and obviously the one, Dally Andrews, with the, the extra state rookie me combine invite. So they, they didn't have the same amount that Gippsland do, but um, they still put up a fight and they, they never really gave in. But again, similar to the previous game we just mentioned, they just didn't have enough numbers. Um, you saw Caleb Sarong got going, Riley Baldy got plenty of the ball. Sam Flanders was inconsistent, but when he got going, he was um, really busy in the middle of the game. Um, Harrison Pepper probably played his best game for the year. Leo Connolly got going. Um, yeah, and, and across the board, I just think there were too many numbers. The weight of numbers was just a bit too much for the Jets. Yeah, and that's always... I think that's what we thought would be a theme coming into the semifinals, that the top-end teams would have just too much. Their, their bottom, you know, 10 really is, is a lot better than um, the sides below them. So, I mean, Western, maybe the wet sort of suited their game style they, they kick long they're direct they've got the big forwards um but it, it just really didn't sort of carry on through the rest of the game power when they want to switch on they do and um yeah they had that awesome streak of i think you said eight goals so um yeah they're, they're big players step up guys like sarong and flanders had really good moments throughout and um yeah a few of their their sort of i guess lesser lights are really coming through as well and doing their role playing their role yeah, and Gippsland had 63 more disposals. They had 14 more inside 50s and um, remarkably laid almost 30 more tackles. So they were getting their hands on the ball and, and 25 more marks as well. So they're playing possession footy, but they're also winning the ball back through tackling. So that's really promising to see. Um, and for the for the Jets, obviously, Deli Andrews, uh, as we mentioned, was probably their best. 26 touches, couple of goals. Did a good job on Flanders early, kept him to six touches in the first half, but then um, Flanders got off a bit in the second half, particularly third quarter, um, and, and got away from him. Uh, Lucas Faley, uh, Bailey Cootie, um, Lucas Rocky, um, Darcy Kassar, the, the, the usual names who are winning plenty of the ball. Um, they were quite solid all in the teens. So um, I think they can sort of hold their head high after a, a strong performance. Uh, but at the end of the day, Gippsland were the better side and, and they moved through to a prelim. Yeah, and I mean, kudos to Western. They they're played probably above our expectations throughout the year and, and did well to, to make the semi. I had a tough game against Northern last week as well. Um, but Gippsland are a hard-working team and it's going to be a good matchup with Eastern in the prelims next week because they're probably the two 
hardest working teams um, that are still in it. That's not to discredit Sandringham and Oakley, but um, they've got some real solid players below that core of um, of real, you know, top end talent. I think, and that'll bode well for a ripping contest next week. Yep, and later on we'll be discussing the game between Eastern and Gippsland as well as uh, Oakley and Sandringham. Uh, but we'll take a short break and up next we're going to be discussing some of the draft combine profiles from the Northern Knights, Western Jets and Calder Cannons. You're listening to the Final Siren podcast, thanks to afl.draftcentral.com.au. Uh, we just discussed the semi-finals from the weekend, uh, which saw Sandringham and Gippsland get up in wins over Calder and Weston. We'll now discuss the losing sides' uh, top draft draft prospects that got national draft combine invites, as well as the Northern Knights, who obviously went out the week before. So the first player up we're going to take a look at, uh, of course, all these ones have the national combine invites, is Sam Philp, uh, midfielder, missed out on Vic Metro selection, but he's probably been one of the strongest performers throughout the year. Yeah, definitely Northern standout, I think, throughout the year. And it's a shame they missed out on Metro selection, given the sort of wealth of numbers they had through their um, but they were missing an inside player, so he's probably one that could have made a difference for him. But his form's been really great throughout the year. Doesn't have crazy numbers um, in terms of his disposals, but he's a high-impact player. Uh, just in terms of how he sort of play- breaks away, he's a metres gain midfielder. And, um, he, I mean, he's been great to watch for the Knights. He's, he's stood up even with the top-end talent coming back for other sides and, and playing well against other, you know, really good midfields. Um, it, it's definitely a good sign, and having those clubs interested in him um, obviously, um, it's promising for him. Yeah, he's probably been a bit disadvantaged this year. Uh, obviously, you mentioned being the inside midfielder. He averaged the almost six clearances per game. Um, you know, predominantly contested work, uh, but can win it on the outside as well. He's probably been a bit disadvantaged by the fact that two of the Metro inside midfielders are, are probably picks one and two this year. So yeah. you're probably taking um, that away. Uh, in most years, he'd probably have... Um, squeezed into that lineup, uh, and yeah, he's certainly a player that I think clubs will look at for both his speed and his attack on the ball. He's got a nice mix there. Uh, it's just sort of developing, ironing out all the other little areas uh, in there. But certainly, I think that he'd be in consideration in that first half of the draft, even if it's not the the pointy end. But um, he's a player that certainly has come a long way this year. Yeah, absolutely, and I think a positive for him from midfield. Um is he has that flexibility and because he, he's such a metres gained and forward running midfielder, he can hit the scoreboard as well. And he did so in eight games this year. So definitely has that potential. I think it's a really good um, trait to have for a midfielder. Yes. And uh, moving on to uh, another player, his teammate Ryan Sturgis, a bit of a different player. He's sort of that undersized key position player who can play tall or small, but uh, can play back or forward. He's very versatile. Um, he's the other knight who got the national combine invite and, um, you know, he managed the 13 games. He did play uh, Nationals. He played all four games at Nationals and battled hard against probably bigger players at times, made a few errors, but um, overall he never stopped trying. And, um, you know, he, he's that player that can fill a role. It'll just be where he plays at AFL level. Yeah, I think that's just such a great thing to have. Um, he's definitely a player who has that versatility. I've really liked him up forward in recent weeks. Um for the Knights coming towards uh, the end of their season. Uh, he's just attack on the ball in the area is 
frightening really it's it's pretty good um just leaping at it he's confident he he um he can find the goals as well so i think just as you said that sort of role player potential is good for him um it means that he can really plug a hole i guess um he's not really he's probably not going to be a, a player to stand out straight away but um just given his effort and intensity and um consistency reliability things like that he'll um he'll definitely be someone that clubs can sort of rely on and he'll be a bit of a safer pick later on. And where do you sort of see as his best position going forward? I mean, earlier in the year, it was really clear that he was sort of that half back. He, was almost a, he fit into the Northern game style, that high possession style where he could just find the ball. He's a good mark, reliable, will just kick it short and, and work hard around there. But I, I think he's even better up forward, to be honest. He consistently finds the goals and just his leap his um his attack on the ball and the lead up is is really good to watch i think yeah and um he he's one that i think will uh certainly attract some interest come draft time because of that uh versatility that you mentioned and uh another player who's sort of played a little bit everywhere or well for the next three players i guess if you if you like to put it that way with western um josh honey he sort of played a uh, forward or through the mid he can play back as well if required but predominantly in the forward half and he's got that touch of class unfortunately um injured his hip in the uh the first final and and missed out on western semi-final on the weekend but he's um he's a player who throughout the year averaged about the 16 touches and and four and a half tackles so um he, he lays tackles does the defensive things but he can create plays in the forward half of the ground yeah, he's another impact player. I think he's obviously that sort of 184 centimetres, but 85 kilos as well. He's just really powerful from the contest and has that speed and, um, yeah, obviously uses it to break away really well. And he's so damaging going forward um, with his left foot and can play inside 50 and find the goals as well, which uh, I keep mentioning. But he um, he's definitely a player that can do so and did it at the champs. He was a bit inconsistent, which is obviously the sort of, um, I guess, the negative on his game at the moment. But... When he's on, he's on, and he um he did really well sort of towards the back end of the year to get those higher numbers and really sort of uh, take the game by the scruff of the neck um, against good opposition too. So he's definitely one that his upside is very good. It's just a matter of finding it more often, I think. Yeah, and certainly the same could go for his teammate in Darcy Kassar, who um, also played Metro, played the three games, uh, uh, has sort of been played everywhere. He's one of those players that played as a 16-year-old for the Jets in the NAB League boys back in 2017. He managed the four games there. Um, you know, last year he was predominantly that wing half-forward player who would um, use power to, to move around and get the ball forward. And this year they sent him back after a game or so and um, played off uh, the halfback flank and getting plenty of rebounds and, and just moving the ball from there to show off his versatility and um, at the start of the year, he was racking up some massive numbers. He got 30-plus on quite a few occasions and um, just kept finding it and, and, and getting it out of there and, and earned Vic Metro's spot. Um, and he's a player who he came back, um, continued the back roll, didn't have as much of an impact in the back end of the season, but um, he's a player who creates a bit of run and dash, uh, You know, and can do a few nice things. It's just building that consistency. Absolutely, and I still remember, as you mentioned there, him coming onto the scene as a 16-year-old, booting four goals. I think it was against Northern, and um, you sort of thought, yeah, we've, we've probably got a player here, and 
Um, he hasn't quite shown that same form maybe forward of centre, but definitely as a high accumulating half back or back pocket, he plays the role really well. Um, he's a reliable kick and can really find it well on the outside when he pushes up to the wing. So I like his traits. He was one who was sort of creeping up there um, into your power rankings, those that sort of top 25, but um, maybe he's a bit on the outside of that now, um, given a couple of down games, but definitely has some good traits. Yeah. And definitely in a, one of the tools that probably realistically this year has been a bit forgotten about in many senses. He had a, in, he copped an injury obviously earlier in the year in playing for the uh, Australian side against Casey on the G. Um, and he's a player that probably, again, like, like his teammates, has struggled a bit with uh, inconsistency. But when he's on, he's very hard to stop in Emerson Jika. He's... Um, he's a player who obviously is a great size, not many key position players, can play forward or back, um, can clunk contested marks really well. Um, his set shot goal kicking can sometimes be a bit of an issue, but certainly in terms of his um, work in the air, he's he's one of those players that can crash packs and, and create opportunities for others. Yeah, it's hard to really talk about Jekka and not finish a sentence without saying for his size because mm. um, he's so... Athletic for his size is a good kick, or good field kick for his size. Um, so, those are the really the positives for him, and um, that sort of prototypical athletic forward who can play at either end as well is something that clubs obviously desire. So, um, given he's got the athletic base and can kick the ball pretty well, um, yeah, that, that's definitely going to make him a lot more desirable for clubs. I'd say. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I, I imagine it'll be somewhere mid-draft um, in that round once you've everyone's settled into those top-end talents and, and he they're looking for a tall. He's certainly potentially good value uh, in that mid-draft uh, with the right development going forward. So it'll be good to see how he goes. Um, another player in that range that's creeping up bit by bit uh, is Daniel Mott from Calder. Obviously, he's uh, he had a really good back end to the season. Like, he's had a good year, but uh, I felt he got better and better throughout the year. Played at Metro, came back to Calder and was really, really dominant in the last few games. Looked a bit sore on the weekend, but still one of their best. And um, yeah, he knows how to find the footy and he sort of worked on his... Um, contested work because previously he was quite uncontested uh, playing on a wing. Uh, this year he's he's won a bit more contested ball, which is great to see, and um, doing a doing a bit more of that, um, which is um, really promising for him. And he's picked up his disposal numbers, um, tackle numbers, hitting the scoreboard a bit more. So he kicked seven goals this year compared to just the one last year. So he's having more of an impact around the ground. Yeah, and it's been really good to see his contested ball work and hearing um, the Calder talent manager, Tom Lonergan, speak about him and saying he's often the one at the bottom of the pack is probably not something you'd think you'd hear at the start of the year um, when referring to Daniel Mott. But he's been really good on the inside and obviously played there um, for Metro as well. And Coming back to the Calder side late on in the year, he was so dominant against the Stingrays and was really the guy alongside Sam Ramsey to stand up against the Dragons um, last week. So I really like his forward movement and his kicking going inside 50. I think that's something that really helps to, you know, just have him catch the eye. You really notice him when he's in those positions at, at half forward and um, kicked a couple of goals um, later in the year where you think, yeah, you know, th- this guy's got some class about him. So... Um, yeah, definitely one who's rising, and, and I've really enjoyed watching him the um, the latter part of the year. Yeah, and uh, moving on to his teammate in Harrison Jones, he's 
He's a nice key position size. Um, he's got the 194 centimetres, 75 kilos, so he's still got a fair bit to fill out there. Um, project player gets thrown around a fair bit when it comes to those kind of measurements, and it's it's probably fair. He sits in that uh, second round kind of region for a club that's keen to uh, maybe pick up a, a, a fill-in player here, there, everywhere, can play forward back, um, even had a bit of stint in the ruck in the, uh, the last few games. So... Uh, it's really good to see him um, being so versatile. Um, I know he's got a really, really long kick. We saw on the weekend he had a shot from about 55. It only just fell short, but he's um, he's certainly capable of kicking from, from 50 or, or more. So he's a player who, um, you know, averaged the 12 touches this year, um, the 2.4 tackles and 3.3 marks. So he's, he's had a bit of the ball. And um, he really probably came to the fore at the champs. It's not so much him winning a lot of the ball, but just the way that he played, kicked the four goals across the four games, um, presented well in a forward line that probably didn't have uh, too much look at it at times, but he um, he certainly presented well and, and emerged as the player to watch in that, uh, say, second round, even potentially later on in that first if, if they decide to go that high. Um, but certainly that second round onwards, he's got that option uh, as a really valuable tool. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pretty steep rise for him earlier in the year um, from almost a relative unknown to um, getting into that Vic Metro team and being the leading forward. And I think that project play is definitely a good way to put it. Um, he he may well go earlier than expected given there's not many tools in the draft. And um, for a team maybe like a Collingwood or, or someone higher up on the ladder, he'll, he'll be a really valuable sort of pickup because... Um, you know, you, you can develop him, you can afford to develop him in the seconds for a year because your team's obviously playing well um, in the ones. So um, he can get that those sort of minutes and senior time into him and then he can come straight into the senior team um, after a bit of experience. So I think um, he'll definitely be one to keep an eye on for, for future scope um, and his ceiling's pretty high, so I, I like the look of him. Yeah. And that wraps up our draft combine profiles. We did them on the Knights, Jets, and Cannons. So obviously next week we will do cover the two teams that are bow out in the preliminary finals this weekend, which we'll preview after the break. You're listening to the Final Siren podcast on afl.draftcentral.com.au. listening to the final siren podcast thanks to afl draft central at afl.draftcentral.com.au we've run through the semi-finals wraps and the draft combine profiles previously on the show now we're going to take a look at the preliminary finals coming up this weekend and for mine i think we all saw these coming not necessarily in the order that they ended up but the top four teams were deserving of being the top four teams this year and uh, I guess we'll take a look at the two preliminary finals, starting with the Oakley Chargers going up against the Sandringham Dragons. They're playing off at Icon Park uh, from 11 o'clock, uh, and I think this one is all set to be a beauty if the uh, last matchup between the teams is anything to go by. Yeah, and I mean, I said that last game, the round 17 game where Oakley got up was the highest quality under 18 match I'd, I'd seen uh, probably ever. Um and, I mean, they're set to do it again. The top-end talent in the, the two sides is just crazy. Um, you know, 18 combined invites in the Sandringham side and um, almost just as many in, in Oakley's team. And 
I mean, they've got the number one and two pick pretty much as well. So um, it, it's just a great opportunity really to see them go at it again, um, see all those really high-end um, draft prospects go at it. And I mean, the last game was, was pretty insane, as I said. Oakley are up 2-1 in the head-to-head throughout the year after Sandy got up in round three. So, I mean, it's really it's sort of toss of the coin sort of stuff, I'd say, between the teams. What do you reckon, Pete? Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting, I think. Uh, obviously, you've got the, the two top-end players of Rao and Anderson going up against a real um, broad Sandringham midfield, not discounting Trent Bianco, although he'll probably play off half-back. Um, and, like, you know, they've both got tools they can rely on. Uh, the forward lines have damaging players. Uh, it, the defense even has players back there that could get drafted. And um, I'm definitely leaning, leaning more towards Oakley based on exposed form we've seen. But you can never really discount Sandringham if they can get their game going because I think the depth they've got across the ground is really, really impressive and probably more so than Oakley in many ways. Um, but Oakley certainly have players that are able to um, get them out of trouble like you've got Rao you've got Anderson you've got Cooper Sharman up forward Trent Bianco they're all potential match winners um and certainly they're players that I think going into this game will be very very crucial because we know that Lewis Butler's in good form coming out of defense so they'll want to try and restrict his influence uh Ryan Burns is in really good form they're going to want to watch him same with Finn McGuinness Darcy Chergwin so they're going to probably go head-to-head, and I think we're going to see some of the best head-to-heads you can see in the midfield uh, this year. So it's going to be great to see uh, that midfield battle. Yeah, I know uh, Sandringham coach Josh Burke's really wanting his side to respond on the inside after what Raul and Anderson had done to him um, in the last quarter of the Round 17 clash. So it be interesting to see how the likes of Finn McGuinness, who's been in really good form, um, and Darcy Cherwin can stand up there, and obviously Ryan Burns as well, who just... He's really been their player of the final series and um, just consistently stands up. So it'll be, um, be a ripper. I can't wait. Now, obviously, Fisher McCasey was missing uh, last game in a moon boot, so he's a crucial out for them. Marnie, I think, that last time I heard, they were hoping to get him back for this game, but um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Obviously, Josh Worrell out as well, and that's some pretty high-end quality out of that um, Sandy team. Obviously, Dylan Williams, we'll just have to wait and see. No one's ruled him out for the year, so he might be back. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I think team selection, more than anything, will be very interesting between these sides um, for this game. But uh, in terms of tips, I'm, I'm still leaning towards Oakley just because of that exposed form. Um, if Sandringham can get both Marnie and McCasey back, obviously we don't know the teams at the time of recording, it'll be very, very interesting. Even just Marnie um, will add something different in that forward half. Um, but I, I just feel that Oakley are probably in that better form. And we saw against Gippsland when they turn it on, they can really go. And uh, it's not even their combine invites. They've got a lot of real quick players inside that uh, forward 50 that can do damage. So... Um, I get the feeling if they can try and restrict Lewis Butler off halfback and, and lock it inside 50, then I think that they're uh, probably the the team to beat, um, not just in this game, but overall. But um, certainly I'm going with Oakley in this match. Yeah, I agree that Oakley's the team to beat and um, I'll have to go with him as well for pretty much all the reasons that you put out there. And in the second game, obviously to decide the uh, other grand finalist, uh, Eastern Rangers go up against Gippsland Power. That's at one thirty from I- at Icon Park, so it'll be great to see how these two go head to head. And I think it'll be a very different clash to Oakley and Sandy because 
I, I guess it sort of feels like Oakley and Sandy are sort of those more those, um, for for lack of a better word, a bit of a Hollywood kind of team. You know they can do amazing things. They're top end talent. They can um, produce some phenomenal football. Where I, I think you alluded to earlier in the uh, the podcast, the fact that Eastern and Gippsland are more your um, really dour, hardworking sides. And I know that's often been associated as, as a negative, but it's really not because you've seen that Eastern as a team are, are the best team in the competition, I feel. Like they're the best, um, they work in sync because I don't think there'd be too many um, teams in the past that have had no national combine invites that are potentially in a grand final if they can win um, or certainly even got this far. So it's great to see them up there. And for Gippsland, obviously, you've got Sarong and Flanders at the top end, but then you've got a, the few in between um, that are quite talented. And to be honest, the bottom six of Gippsland is probably the best of all the remaining four teams. Their bottom six is remarkably strong, uh, and you know you're going to get something out of them on the day. So they are obviously missing Brock Smith uh, on the weekend, and hoping he gets back, but again, un- unsure of that. We don't have the team. So if he comes back, I think he could be the difference if they make it through between potentially winning a flag or not because he's so important in that uh, back 50. We showed they pushed Oakley all the way, um, and that was without Combin, who came back last round. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, this game. I, I, where do you sort of see it? I think it's really won and lost in the midfield, to be honest, because Easton's got a really unique setup in and the way that they use their handball out of congestion. So I think the way that they're they're sort of just real um trying to find the word, but their connection between their three runners through the midfield is is just on point and they trust each other, they know where they're gonna be and they can figure it out just really easily out of the stoppages. Um but then you look at Sarong and Flanders, they're both midfielders who can really crack down at the coal face and they're not going to give you that time and space to work and run and they're always going to have an arm across you if they're not winning it themselves. So um, that'll be a really important contest. It'll be interesting interesting to see which way it goes. Um, you look at the previous clash um, where both sides were pretty much at full strength and Gippsland got the better of Easton that day. So, I mean, it's really, again, sort of, Toss of a coin stuff, but um, yeah, what who who do you reckon's on top? Who do you think's going to get up in this one? Yeah, it was quite interesting because the first week of finals after seeing Eastern play, I thought Eastern will um, Eastern will get up. They could win it after beating Sandy, and then I saw Gippsland push Oakley all the way, and and arguably could have won without a bit of bad luck in the last term. And um, last week they just sort of got going again, churning after a bit of a slow start. Um, I think it'll come down to whether Gippsland are able to play their game because if they can play their game, they're very, very damaging. And similar to the first time where you mentioned it was 10 points, I think it's going to be just about that in it. It's it's only going to be a couple of kicks. I don't think either team's going to be able to get away and win comfortably. Um, I tipped an Oakley-Gippsland grand final at the start of the year, so I'm going to go with Gippsland just so my prediction can come true. Though I do believe that Easton are every chance in this game, and I think it's going to be an absolute ripper. Yeah, um, I did have the same tips as well, um, just quietly. But I'm going to go with Easton in this one. I think, I mean, it'd be a great story for them to get through the grand final. Um, they they really weren't expected to do definitely near as much uh, at the start of the year. So I think, um, yeah, it'd be deserving. They're, they're the minor premier and. Yeah, I think that um, they're even spread and just team spirit, camaraderie, you know, the 
the um, the way that they work together and um, the evenness across the board can get them over the line and, you know, why not? Yep, for sure. So it's a very interesting round of football coming up. Of course, you can catch those games at Icon Park. Uh, that's from 11 o'clock and one thirty. So uh, hopefully the weather's not too bad this weekend like it was last weekend. But uh, if it can hold off, it'll be great to see some action. And of course, the winners of those games advance to the grand final a week later on Saturday at Icon Park. Um, it's going to be fascinating. We've got the four best teams. There's no one who really disputes that. We've got terrific action, uh, plenty of draftable talent on show. It's a, it's a great day. Um, in many ways, preliminary final day is probably the, the best day of the year, purely because you've got four teams that are playing. Um, you know you're going to have the best of the best. So uh, it's it's been a great. But uh, that's the end of the uh, final siren podcast for another week. If you want to uh, catch up on any past ones, make sure you check us out on all your downloadable platforms whether it's anchor uh spotify or um, google play and anything like that um otherwise you can catch us on afl.draftcentral.com.au make sure you follow us on our socials at draft central oz aus and uh that's another week in the books thanks very much for joining me today michael yeah pleasure no worries it's uh been a big week and we look forward to your company next week uh, to preview the grand final of the nab league boys and wrap up the preliminary finals. Thanks very much for joining us.